So my favorite TV show these days is This Is Us. How about you? Yeah? So as we're going through these chapters in Matthew 26, 27, and 28, I want you to keep that line in mind. Okay, this is us. As you're, we're reading about all these different people in this story, as Jesus heading, is heading to the cross, we need to identify with them. And then also at the same time, it's this is us, and also this is our Savior. Matthew is saying this is the promised King that was, you know, centuries ago. The prophets, prophets foretold of who he was and all that he would do. Um, He is our Messiah, our Savior. So open your Bibles to Matthew 26. begins here where once again, as Jesus has done repeatedly, he's reminding his disciples that he will die. And now he says it's just two days away that he will be handed over to be crucified. And then we, the scene is flipped to the, the scene of the religious leaders thinking that they are devising a plan. But as we see this all unfold, we'll know that God's plan is what is going to come to pass. Then we see Mary, the sister of Martha Martha and Lazarus, who was raised, giving this beautiful anointing of Jesus. She uses pure nard, which was a perfume worth about 300 days wages, $12,000. And she pours it on Jesus' head and on his feet. And though the disciples say, oh, this is so wasteful, Jesus said, oh, throughout all time, she will be remembered in the way that she's honored me and showed her devotion to me. She's prepared my body for burial. And I think, I don't know, did she know? Had she been the only one that had listened to Jesus saying, I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to rise again? Or did she do this unknowingly? We don't, we, the scripture doesn't tell us, but it's just such a beautiful, beautiful gift and offering she brings to Jesus. And then we have this great contrast. Judas, here's Mary showing pure devotion, and then Judas goes to the authorities and betrays Jesus for just 30 pieces of silver, which was the value of a slave during these times. And then we have the Last Supper, the Passover meal. And here, Jesus reveals that one will betray him. And they all ask, is it I? Will it be me, Lord? But Judas alone says, Not I, Rabbi. We never hear Judas calling Jesus Lord. Never. And this Last Supper is something that we celebrate now. Jesus, for them here in this time, is taking the tradition that they knew, the Passover meal, and flipping it upside down and revealing his new covenant. As they celebrate the Passover, they think of the ancient Israelites who marked the doorposts of their home, right? With the hyssop branch, with the blood of the Passover lamb. And how God had worked mightily. He had passed over Egypt. The angel of death had passed over and all the firstborn sons in Egypt were killed. But for those that had put them the blood on their homes, on the door frames of their homes, that angel of death had passed over. 
And God had then brought them out with a mighty and outstretched arm, right? Set them free from slavery, brought them through the Red Sea, brought them to the promised land. So here Jesus says, this is something new. You will be marked by my blood. And you will be passed over. You will be set free from from sin, this labor to sin and death. So he takes the Passover meal and reveals its ultimate purpose. It points to his sacrifice. He takes the, the unleavened bread and breaks it and says, this is my body broken for you. He takes the, the cup, the wine, and says, this is my blood of the covenant poured out for many for the forgiveness of their sins. Jesus is the true Passover lamb. All the lambs that had been sacrificed before just foreshadowed Jesus. His life is given in exchange for ours to pay the debt for our sin. In the Passover Seder meal, the final toast was this year in Jerusalem, next year in the kingdom. And Jesus changes it. He says, that he won't drink again until they are together in his father's kingdom. The kingdom has come, and there will be a future banquet that's told to us in Revelation. So he looks um, ahead not only to his resurrection, but to that future, right? The greatest banquet of all. So Jesus is the true king, and the Eucharist, or the communion, or the Last Supper, whatever you want to call it, it's his coronation feast, and he welcomes all of his followers to the table by his grace. And when we come to that table, and we eat the bread, and we drink the cup, we confess our sin, and we thank him for his sacrifice, for making a way for us to be able to be reconciled to God. And it's also a commitment where we say once again, we're reminded, we remember, and we say once again, you are my king. You are my Lord. I want to be faithful and obedient to you because when we come to the table, we sign up to join in his mission and that call is to give our lives away. Whether or not you attend this church, I do want to invite you, give you a special invitation to my favorite service of all that is here at this church that will take place here at this campus. And it's the same service either on Monday, Thursday, or Good Friday at 6 and 8 and 6 and 8, both of those nights. It's a precious communion service, and um, I just encourage you to join us for that. You won't want to miss it. Then we see... Jesus foretelling of Peter's denial, and he says that they will all fall away. But he says, and I wonder if they're listening, he says, but after he is raised up, he wants to meet them in Galilee. And Peter, good old Peter, <laughs> Peter boldly says, I won't fall away. All those other disciples may fall away, but I won't. And then Jesus says, oh, Peter. Before the morning comes tomorrow, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And then we move to the scene in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus 
is overwhelmed with sorrow. He's facing the greatest temptation of all to not go to the cross. His disciples fail to keep watch and pray. They fall asleep, and they don't fail just once or twice, but three times. Yet Jesus, we see him prostrate. He falls on his face. And asks the Lord, would you take this cup of wrath from me? But, oh, oh, Father, not my will, but your will be done. He is facing drinking the cup of God's wrath for the sins of the entire world. And as he communes with his father throughout the night in prayer, he does, he surrenders his will to the father. And then he says, it hadn't been time before, but now he says, it's time. He tells his disciples, rise. <laughs> My betrayer is coming. He's ready and willing to go to the cross. Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss. And Peter strikes out with his sword. And this is one of my favorite parts in verses 53 to 56 of chapter 26. Where Jesus reprimands Peter. And we find in in another one of the Gospels that it's struck off a servant's ear. And Jesus heals it (laughs) right in the midst of him being arrested. Amazing. But he says to Peter, do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? 12. We've heard that number before. One legion for every single disciple. There are 6,000 in a legion. So he he knows he could call on 72,000 angels, which just one angel that's seen on earth brings fear, right? To anyone. He knows the power that he has. But he says, But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, A crowd had come. I think they thought that the disciples would all resist and fight. It's not just a few people come to arrest him, but a crowd of soldiers and religious leaders. He says, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place, that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then, just as Jesus said, all the disciples left him and fled. At any time, Jesus could have resisted and refused to go to the cross. Then we see Jesus brought before Caiaphas, the high, the high priest, and, and a small portion of the council who are gathering in this illegal session in the middle of the night and early morning. They're trying to bring a case against Jesus. They try to bring false witnesses. They have a hard time. He's innocent. He's done nothing wrong. But then they, they do get, finally get two witnesses who, who agree, and they misconstrue some of Jesus' words. They claim that Jesus said that he would destroy the temple. but And this is from John 2, if you want to check it out later. But this in this scene, Jesus had cleansed the temple, and he said 
not I will, but he just said, destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in, again in three days. And we know that he was not talking about the temple. He was talking about his own body. So he is falsely accused. And then in verse, beginning with verse 62 in chapter 26. And the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is that that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. He does not fight for himself. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. He's trying to get Jesus to make an oath. And Jesus said to him, You have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard this blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, He deserves death. Then they spit on his face and struck him, and some slapped him. The other gospels say that he, they blindfolded him. And when they slapped him, then they said, prophesy to us, you Christ. Who is it that struck you? The abuse, the mocking begins. <clears throat> Ladies, in all of these people, we must see ourselves. This is us. We are the ones who betray and deny and fall away. Who want to be in charge of our own lives and to have it our own way. We're all sheep that go astray. We think we know. We want to make the plans. And Jesus goes to the cross for us all. Though we don't deserve his beautiful sacrifice. And I pray that we would be like Mary. Maybe in these coming weeks as we're we're looking ahead to Good Friday and Easter, we can be asking the Lord, Lord, today, what would it look like for me to show that kind of devotion to you? How can I be faithful to you like Mary? And then we see the surrender and suffering and sacrifice of Jesus as we move into the, to the end of chapter 26 and 27. I want you ladies to see this is Jesus surrendering to the Father's will for his glory. It's him laying down his life. No one has the power to put Jesus on the cross. He willingly, moment by moment, moves towards that in faithfulness. He's faithful to the end. And we must see the irony here. The religious leaders and the Roman leaders think that they are in charge. But Jesus is the true king who is reigning even in these darkest moments. We see Judas go out and hang himself. Regrettably, Peter weeps and will return to Jesus. But Judas remains in his despair and refuses to seek out Jesus. And then Jesus is brought before Pilate. This is where the powers, the power of Caesar, right? The power of the world, this world, and the power of, of God's kingdom meet. And Jesus does not defend himself. 
or fight for his own rights. He continues to be silent, and Pilate is amazed. Pilate knew that the Jewish religious leaders sought to kill Jesus because they were envious. They didn't like his popularity. They didn't like their authority being challenged. And though it's incomprehensible to us, the crowd who had welcomed Jesus on Palm Sunday and praised him, now choose Barabbas to be set free instead of Jesus. You see, Pilate is trying to release Jesus. He's heard this word from his wife, who's been given a dream. This man is righteous. And when he interacts with him, he sees it. It's undeniable. And so he makes this offer. Shall I release Barabbas, the murderer, or shall I re- release Jesus, the Christ? And the crowd asks for Barnab- Barabbas instead of Jesus. And, and Pilate washes his hands, which is a Jewish rit- ritual, so it's interesting to hear. He washes his hands in front of the crowd and said, I'm innocent of this man's blood. And the crowd, they curse themselves and say that his blood will be upon them. Don't forget Barabbas. He is the one that goes free. The sinful one who goes free. And Jesus, the innocent one, the sinless one, is sent to the cross. This is just one little nugget of the gospel. It's a picture of it. We are all Barabbas. All that trust in Jesus, the Savior and Lord, are set free. And he goes to the cross for us. The powers that put, supposedly put Jesus on the cross didn't realize that they were serving God's purposes. So we must see here, once again, that God's kingdom, though it doesn't come in the expected ways, is greater. God rules over the kingdoms of this world, and his plans come to pass. And here, it's heartbreaking. Jesus is flogged by the Romans, who don't count the lashes. Much of the time, many criminals didn't even make it to the cross because this was so brutal. And then those Roman soldiers take Jesus to the praetorium and mock him. They strip him. They put on a red robe, one of their own military robes. They put a crown of thorns on his head and give him kind of this mock scepter. And they say, Hail to the king. And so he's mocked, and yet the irony is that he is the one true king of all. Come to earth to reign. And then Jesus walks the Via Della Rosa, the way of sorrows, and Simon of Cyrene carries Jesus' crossbeam. Jesus here is seen as weak, and yet we know he is the mightiest of all. The charge hangs above his head, the king of the Jews, and oh yes, he is. People pass by and mock him. The priests sneer at him saying, oh, you said that you could save others. Why don't you save yourself? Come down from the cross. And yet, Jesus chooses not to save himself, but to save others. 
He chooses to remain on the cross to even save them, the one who put them, put him there, the ones who mock him. He is living up to his name. Jesus means the Lord saves. He's fulfilling his purpose that we saw at his birth when the angel announced to Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And then we have this new scene. Jesus has hung on the cross for three hours, but at noon, what is supposed to be the brightest time of day, darkness comes over all the land from noon to three in the afternoon, just like the darkness that the Lord cast over Egypt with the ninth plague, just like Amos had foretold in Amos 8, verses 9 to 10. You read this in your study this week. On that day, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will make it like the morning for an only sun and end of it like a bitter day. This is the hour of God's judgment when the cup of God's wrath for the sins of the whole world are poured out on Jesus. You see, God is holy and righteous and just and his heart breaks over the pain that sin and death have brought in this world. And he can't overlook our sin. He can't say, oh, it's no big deal. So with the cross, he is working his justice as well as extending his mercy. He can't overlook pride and selfishness and greed he can't overlook murder and rape and oppression and war. There must be a consequence. And so he is just. His wrath is poured out and yet he is also the justifier, providing mercy to all who will come to Christ. Tom Wright speaks of this the darkness in this moment when Jesus on, is on the cross. He says, on the cross, the weight of the world's evil really did converge upon Jesus, blotting out the sunlight of God's love as surely as the light of day was blotted out for three hours. Jesus is giving his life as a ransom for many. The sin of the many, which is he is bearing, has for the first and only time in Jesus' experience, caused a cloud to become to come between him and the Father that he loved and obeyed, the one who delights in him. Isaiah have foretold this. You read this in Isaiah 53 this week, verses 4 to 6. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted but he was wounded for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities upon him was the chastisement right god's wrath that brought us peace with god restored us to god and with his stripes we are healed all we like sheep have gone astray we have turned every one of us to our own way and the lord has laid on him the iniquity of all 
also there in the darkness when he's bearing this, the sins of the whole world. He cries out. Verse from Psalm 22.1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is all alone in his suffering. He is forsaken so that our communion with God can be restored. He is abandoned so that we will never be alone. Here, it looks as if the powers of this world have won. It looks, looks as if Jesus has broken. And yet, he is still faithful to trust and obey the Father, even in this dark moment where he is all alone. And how do we know? Because he remains on that cross when he could have gone down. He is faithful to the end. I hope at noon on Good Friday this year, you'll take a moment to stop. Maybe even set aside that time from noon to three to remember this darkness, to remember the, the judgment that Jesus bore on our behalf. And remember that because of what he experienced, we will never ever be alone. We will always walk in the light of God's presence. There will never be a moment where we are not loved completely. Jesus experienced this darkness so we wouldn't have to, so we can always walk in his light. And remember, ladies, that Jesus' cross is his throne. It's the worst moment of all time, and yet the best. It's his most glorious moment, because this is love. It's him giving his life away for undeserving sinners like you and me. Through his sacrifice, our sins are forgiven. Our guilt is removed. He has paid the debt that we owe. And then there's this most amazing exchange. He takes on our sin and gives to us his righteousness so that we can be restored to God the Father. And it's here that Jesus' death defeats all the powers of evil and death. And we've seen this throughout his whole life, right? His power over everything. Here it's truly accomplished. And through his victory on the cross, we are enabled to be resurrection people, to walk in newness of life. Jesus cries out again in a loud voice. One of the other gospels includes the words, It is finished! Which was so miraculous, because when you were dying on a cross, you, were, you couldn't breathe. That He could even cry out as a miracle. And so here we see he gave his life. It was not taken from him. And the whole of Psalm 22 must be remem remembered. And it ends in victory and praise. The last line is, he has done it. It is finished. Salvation has been accomplished. He has given his life as a ransom for many. And he's opened the way for sinners to be received in the presence of God. We see this with the curtain torn from top to bottom. 
in the temple. Sinners are welcomed into the, God's presence. And all of creation must cry out. There's an earthquake. The rock split open. Creation is made new. And saints of old come up, rise up out of their tombs and are seen around Jerusalem. And the centurion's cry rings out to us today where he saw how Jesus died. He saw what took place, and the only thing that he could say was, truly this was the Son of God. Jesus, he'd, this centurion had probably seen quite a few crucifixions, but he said Jesus died like no other with humility and love and power. He saw him giving his life away. Jesus is buried in Joseph's tomb. The women are witnesses. And the religious leaders go to Pilate and ask for the tomb to be sealed and guards to be placed there. And I would say, no seal and no guards could keep that, that tomb from bursting open. And the resurrection at the end of 27 and into chapter 28. It's Sunday morning. And the two Marys... The women have come to put more spices on Jesus' body. And there is another earthquake. <laughs> and an angel rolls back the stone and sits on it and announces to these dear women, He has risen. He's not here. Don't look for him in that tomb. You can see that he's gone. And the guards faint. <clears throat> the women are filled with joy. And they go to tell the disciples the good news. And on the way, Jesus, the risen Lord, meets them. And they fall at his feet in worship. What else would you do? Jesus' body, the temple, has been raised again in three days, just as he said. And so God's kingdom comes in power with the resurrection. It declares absolutely that the cross was not a defeat, but a victory. Jesus has come as king on earth, just as he is in heaven. And he's come to his rightful place where every, every knee should bow before him. All of creation bows before him. We're resurrection people. We gather on a Sunday. So every Sunday we come to worship together. It's this reminder that we have a risen Lord. We are his resurrection people. We are like those saints of old who've been brought from death to life. We serve a living Savior who reigns on high. He is our Lord and King. And we pour out our lives in service to him until we will meet him again and celebrate that great banquet. We'll be at the true, the heavenly banqueting table with him. And Jesus commissions his disciples, saying, All authority has been given to him. And he says, You must go. Tell the world about me, your king. And like the baton was passed from Moses to Joshua, right? And the Lord said, Go, take the land. Just as I was with Moses, I will be with you, Jesus says. As the Father has been with me, I will be with you. I live up to my name, Emmanuel. I will be with you always. 
whatever comes, I will never forsake you. You will always walk in the light of my presence. Build my kingdom. Go, teach, make disciples. And so I ask you today, how are you going into all the world with the good news of Jesus? Maybe you can be praying for one person or one family in these coming weeks as Easter is is near. Maybe one family that you could invite to an Easter service. Maybe you could share at work or with your kids' friends about how God has answered your prayer recently. Maybe you could ask the Lord as you begin each day that you would see the person he's, he's sending you to. We must remember that we are the sent ones. And Jesus is our Savior and King and Lord of all, worthy of our lives. Amen. Thanks.